Welcome back to Tess Talks. My name is Tessa and I'm your host. Today I'm going to share with you a discussion I recorded back in April of last year. I actually, after the discussion, I actually totally forgot about it. And so that's why I'm sharing it now because I found it and decided that I would like to share it with you. My friend Becky and her friend Becca, who she introduced me to, we had a discussion about grace. Last year, we read the books by Emily Bell Freeman, and then Becky and I attended a conference where Emily Bell Freeman came and spoke about grace. Becca actually attended that same conference in a different state. And so we decided to have a discussion together and talk about what we had thought grace meant and then what we learned what grace is after having attended this conference and read the books by Emily Bell Freeman. Even though it was almost a year ago, I hope you enjoy it. So let's get started. Hey ladies, welcome. Thank you so much for joining me tonight. I am excited to talk to you guys about grace, just kind of the things that we've been studying and learning. Before you learned about these books and the conference that we attended, did you have any thoughts on what grace was? I feel like grace always really confused me, especially like maybe being in the South and people like the term grace, I think can mean a whole lot of different things. And so I think I was always confused about it. And then I've read some books like Brad Wilcox, I think talks about grace and some other authors. And when they talk about grace and how he's always, he already did his whole part, like it just confused me. And so the thing that I didn't understand about grace was that grace is a part of the atonement. When we talk about the enabling power of the atonement, that that is what grace is. I think that going through like listening to her podcasts and reading her book and the workshop has helped me to understand how much that's just utilizing the atonement in my life. Yeah, I totally agree. I never put it with the atonement. Becca, what about you? I actually, to be honest, hadn't really put a lot of thought into grace. Grace wasn't necessarily something that I'd ever thought too much about. I hadn't really done a lot of studying on it. I think for me, when I thought about that question, my brain went to the only time I really use the word grace is when I say I try to give them a lot of grace for the way they're behaving or for their circumstances or whatever it is. So for me, I felt like it was probably more something that I thought of forgiveness, just kind of like giving people a pass, which I think grace includes, but not from us, right? It's from our savior. After going to Emily's thing, I realized that's not even true. That was pretty eye-opening to understand that grace is freely given. Really, it's just our engagement with grace on the levels in which we receive it, right? Uh, When I first started looking into this, I was like, okay, so what is grace? Like, oh, it's being nice to someone. It's forgiving someone. It's being understanding. It's helping. Those are the kind of things that I associated with grace. I looked up because I was like, okay, I don't think I really understand what grace is, especially when I started reading um, Emily's book. I was like, wait a second, (laughs) this is nothing that I thought. So I was like, okay, what does the world define grace as? So Webster says unmerited divine assistance given to humans for their regeneration or sanctification. And I was like, okay, that's interesting. Um, It's virtue from God, approval, or it can be charming 
or like you have mm-hmm. grace as you walk into a room, you know, your appearance is graceful, things like that. The Bible de- definition though says it's forgiveness, repentance, the whole of God's activity towards man. So different things like that. And so then I thought, okay, so this is, you know, forgiveness. Yeah. And then kindness. It's how God is towards man. Right. Then when, as I'm reading Emily's book, like all these things just started coming to me and it was like having a huge aha moment for me. And I learned there are different types of grace. To me, it was all encompassed in like one thing. I think if, if you guys are good, we'll talk a little bit about the saving grace tonight and what we've learned from that. Was there anything either in the book or in her conference or even in her podcast that stood out to you or something that you learned? Well, just looking, flipping through my notes, like I loved the part where she talked about the trees, the tree of knowledge of good and evil versus the tree of life and how she essentially took that tree of knowledge and talked about that being the mortality tree. She had us write down all of those things that mortality brings us like suffering and joy and death and pain, addiction, having children. So all those things that mortality give us. And then when she moved over to the tree of life, that's where grace comes in because the savior gives us the ability to handle those things in mortality with the tree of life. Right. And that just helped me to kind of like come full circle with like, okay, that makes total sense to me. Like you think about the garden of Eden and then you think about them being cast out. That's when they introduced the idea of the savior. And it wasn't until they were exited out of the garden. That's when the savior was needed because they were now in mortality. And I just love that connection with how he can save us through all of those things, the healing, the love, the peace, the strength, the covenants, all those things that come. She said the job of the tree of knowledge of good and evil is to leave the presence of God. Mm -hmm. But the life, the job of that tree is to return to the presence of God. And I loved that part. Like it helped me not just understand grace a little bit better, but also understand the temple a little bit better and the covenants that we make there and the connection with the savior within those walls. Yeah, I liked that as well. (laughs) That the answer for how to get home is the tree of life. I, I love how Becca just said it helps us understand the um, promises that we make to God. That part of the atonement is helping us. Grace is helping us to fulfill those covenants to get back to our heavenly father. I really loved that part too. Yeah. I thought it was really awesome how she used each tree and how like each piece of fruit is for these specific things. So like from the mortality tree, there's addiction, but on the tree of life, which is Jesus, that fruit was hope. Like there's hope for it to be, you know, gone and to recover. And I loved that part of mortality, you know, bearing children, then from the Jesus tree, like that fruit was love. So I love how she, each one had a fruit on each tree. And they meant different things. I really liked how she brought that in together. And it, it really helps you see it in a different light and to understand it better, I think. One of my favorite parts or something that really stood out to me at the beginning of her book was, and I've never thought about it this way, heard of it this way before. And so this, I think, was the first thing I even highlighted in the book and was it really made an impact on me. She says, grace is an invitation to come as you are. Grace is the promise that there is still room. Grace is radical generosity. 
grace is the healing and restoring that is abundant in Christ. And grace is a place at the table. I don't think I'd ever thought of grace is him meeting me as I am where I am. So it doesn't matter what part of my life I'm in or what I'm doing. He is there and his grace is available to me at all times. And so that was really cool. And I love how she brings it into there's a place at the table. So like she did with the trees, you know, Hey, there's room at the table for all of us. I don't know why that stands out so much to me. It has really made a huge difference of like, there's room at the table for me. I remember when she was talking about that at the conference, I was thinking about my family, not my immediate family, not my husband and my children, but like my extended family and what that giving table looks like. There's a lot of diversity at that table and where we are in our lives and what we're doing and the things we're going through and the experiences that we've already gone through. The fact that we can all sit at that table together in his name, you know, and bless the food and and enjoy each other's company and be together as a family. No matter where we are, we can be there, right? And I thought about that a lot when she was talking about that, I thought the Savior's there. He's at the table with us and he invites us to just come sit at the table, no matter what we look like, or no matter how many piercings we have, or what tattoos we have, or what sins we're bearing, or what trials we have. We're always welcome there. And he offers us exactly what he offers our neighbor who's going through completely different things. It's just equal, equally offered. Yes. I think a lot of times we think, oh, I'm not worthy of his grace. I think when we, you know, when we're not quite sure of what his grace is, or even when we're in this learning process of, oh, this is what grace is. Sometimes we think, well, I'm not worthy of his grace or, well, yeah, it's, it's for everyone except for me. I'm not doing this, or I'm still not good at this. In fact, it is available to everyone. It doesn't matter what you're doing, where you are. All you have to do is ask talk about that. She just said the only thing that is required of us is to believe. Yes. I think that's just amazing. I just think that that's so impactful to us as far as our ability to do as the savior does and allow other people their own journey. She talks about that. And I pondered that, like, it's not my place to worry about where they are on that path. My place is just to invite them to the table, right. And to love them as he would love them and that he's got them. He's meeting them where they are. He's meeting me where I am and that I don't need to worry about where they are, you know, especially in terms of like our own loved ones that we, we worry about where they are and in their journey. And, and it takes like this pressure or this worry off of me that it's, it's not on me that he's meeting them there in their place. I I don't have to do anything. I mean, I just have to love them like he would love them. And I feel like that just makes our job so easy. And, and it takes, I, I, love how you said, like, how many people do we know that feel not worthy to enter a church because for whatever reason and understanding this helps us to understand, like, it doesn't matter where you are, you're still welcome. And I I was pondering how to help people feel like they've got a place at that table, especially when our beliefs can be different.
different, right? We, we may not all feel the same, believe the same, but we all have the same spot at the table. So then how do we adequately show them that it doesn't matter where their beliefs are? We're still all at the same table. I love how Becca said that, like sitting at the Thanksgiving table with all the family and all their different places and we're still united, right? We're still at mm-hmm. the table. Because of him. Yeah. So then how do we make sure that people feel that they're at the table, you know, regardless of where they are in their own lives. I feel like I'm having another aha moment. I can't share why, but I feel like this is God telling me right now, like, okay, just like how you feel now, you have to let these other people that you're having a hard time with know that it doesn't matter where they are, right? doesn't matter what's going on in their life. It's not my responsibility for their choices. I have to just welcome them and have a space at my table. It's powerful. I feel like it takes so much weight off of our shoulders that sometimes as disciples of Christ, I think that we somehow put this responsibility on us to like guide their path somehow or something. And we forget that it's not about us. It's about Jesus. And when we step back and we just allow Jesus to work in on them and in the way that he's going to work on them and we just get to love all of a sudden I'm like, I just feel a lot of like weight is lifted off of my shoulders and that's a beautiful place to be. And I think that people, I know that people feel that from us when we stop trying to somehow work all the things and start just offering that Christ-like love, it like changes everything. You know, I, the story that she told during that day that was so powerful to me with this topic specifically, how do you invite other people to feel his grace through our love is the story of, oh, I can't remember. It starts with a G. Galdeans, is that how you say it? where she actually talked a lot about it with addiction. She, she really thinks that he's, he was an addict and because he cut himself with stones and he was possessed with all those demons. And I love, love, loved when she talked about how the savior asked him his name. He knows his name. He knows everybody's name. So yeah. why do you have to ask his name? And I just thought all it was, was like a recognizable thing. Like I see you, right? So I think if we in some way can like have someone experience his grace through us just being able to see them for who they are through his eyes instead of with judgment or with some sort of fear. Because I think lots of time for me, it's more fear than it is judgment. It's like, I don't know how to talk to them because I'm afraid they're going to feel like I'm pushing them or that I'm trying to fix them or whatever. And so a lot of it is my own fear. But I love, love, love when she said, As soon as the demons were cast out, all of a sudden he's clothed. And I was like, oh my gosh, I get it. Like he didn't have to fix everything. He didn't like instantly fix everything for this guy, but he gave him some clothes. Like he showed him that he saw him by being like, hey, I just giving him what he needed at the time. So powerful. And you know, with all this learning about grace that I've been doing for the last couple months, I don't know. It's just this part that we're talking about right now has just kind of hit me a little bit harder. Like maybe I still didn't get it fully. Maybe since this situation is new, I'm having a completely different understanding of it. So I did find uh, what I was looking for um, in the book. She talked about, so there was a father who was sad for his son. And I think this is kind of the, the same thing. Like, I think the son, is this the one where the son had evil spirits in him? He went to the savior and said, if, if you can help me, please like have compassion on us. 
though. He didn't say have compassion on my son or on myself. He said, have compassion on us and help us. And then in Mark, uh, it says, Jesus said unto him, if thou canst believe all things are possible to him that believeth. So she says, so there was only one requirement for the healing to take place. And that was to believe. So grace was extended exactly where they were and exactly as they were. Even in second Nephi, it says after all we can do. So we can be saved after all that we can do. Nephi is saying that all we have to do is believe in Christ. It doesn't matter where you are in your life. If you believe in Christ, you have his grace. His grace is there for you. That power of belief though, I think is sometimes what holds us back because if like, oh, I'm not good enough. I haven't repented enough or I haven't done enough good. Then we don't believe that his grace is sufficient enough for us, but it is all we have to do is believe and then anything is possible. Well, and the part that I love with that story is even if we are doubting our belief in him that is required of us, supposedly, he fills in that gap too. Like he doesn't just like the father was having doubt and he was like, I do believe, but help my unbelief. Right. And so he's Mm -hmm. still in that gap too. So please heal us. Right. Like I'm distraught. My son has got demons. And I think he was also mute and deaf or blind or something. And then he was just like, I just need you to believe. And he goes, I do believe, but help me also up of where I'm quite sure still. Right. So it's not even a required amount of belief. It's just like a particle of, I know you're the savior, right? Like just that, oh, even the hope of believing, right? And the faith that you have that belief. That's where I love it. It's, it's really how we're willing to partake of it. It's there equally for everyone. Yeah, well, yeah. I think that belief is, is not just believing in him, but you know what? Sometimes we have to believe in ourselves too. I mean, we, all we do is have to believe is in Christ, but as a human, like I have to have that belief in myself as well. I love that you say that because that totally brings me to the thing that was really powerful to me in this whole first section was the story that she tells about the tight walker tightrope walker Mm -hmm. and how like he's proven himself over and over and over again walking across Niagara Falls right so then he wants somebody to get in the barrel and he's proven that he can do it and nobody will get in the barrel so that he can walk them across you know and so I'm thinking about this in terms of Christ and Christ being the tightrope walker and asking somebody to get in that barrel if I was the person that was standing on this on the side and he said like somebody get in this barrel I wouldn't be doubting him I'd be doubting myself. Mm. I would be worried that I would do something that would throw us over the edge, not him, right? (laughs) So then my aha moment in this whole thing was that I have not figured out how to turn it over to Christ. Like Mm. I'm still worrying somehow that I'm screwing it up, even though I fully believe that he's got it. Don't you think that that's the process though? And that's the purpose. Like, I think that when you're having those doubts, that's where he comes to us the most, like in our struggles, right? She talked a lot about that in our struggles is where we figure out where that grace is and what it looks like for you at that time. Mm -hmm. And always have to have it figured out. That's the other part that's super incredible, right? Like you don't have to have it all figured out. 
whether you're taking advantage of it or not, it's going to look differently no matter when or what's what you're going through. Yeah. Yeah. Cause we're all, we're all in different places. We're all different stages. We're all different understandings. So, so uh, Christ would have gotten off the tightrope and come to me. (laughs) (laughs) Where I, me, where I am. Right. That's right. Exactly. (laughs) You know, there's so many, there's so many awesome stories um, in the scriptures that, that she shared. She said, Faith is Peter getting out of the boat, the woman reaching for Christ's robe, the friends breaking up the roof. Faith is seven dips in the river Jordan, Moses stretching out his hand over the Red Sea, but faith by itself cannot produce the desired outcome in any of these experiences. So grace is the power to walk on the water. Uh, It's the healing that comes after you've spent all and grown worse, taking up your bed and walking home becoming whole and heaps of water and dry ground. So many stories in the, the new Testament, especially, but in scriptures where it shows that he met all these people where they were as they were. I thought that was really cool. Cause I don't think I'd ever looked at that, like looked at those stories in that way, like Peter getting out of the boat and walking on the water. Yeah, he had faith. You know, the Lord said, okay, well, walk to me. His grace was actually that power given to him to walk on the water. And I'd never really looked at any of those stories that way. So now I feel like as I'm trying to read the scriptures on my own time, like I'm looking for that, where the grace is and where, you know, like where that comes into the story. It kind of changes it. It really kind of changed how I, how I look at everything now. And one of the things that touched me the most is I guess learning that I need to give grace to others. And it's not the grace that I thought it was, you know, it's having a room at the table for all my family or all my friends and making sure that they feel welcome. And sometimes I feel like that's hard because, you know, I'm human, but I'm so grateful that he gives us that that power even for ourselves, because I mean, what a great teaching moment, right? Like, okay, well, if I'm offering you grace, you know, meeting you where you are, well, God's going to meet me where I am and vice versa. It just is so eye-opening and like you, you start looking at things different. I think, I mean, that's what's happened for me. You start looking at people differently too. I, I don't, have they been, have the missionaries been to your house yet, Becky, to talk about the, their invitations? Yeah. So this conversation reminds me of an invitation that our ward mission leader has done with the missionaries in our ward. It's an invitation based off of a story that President Monson told about a missionary who had baptized multiple people in Europe somewhere, which Europe is a hard place to baptize a lot of people. He had been interviewed, I think it was by Tanner. Elder Tanner at the time, and he was asking him, How did where did you get all these people? Are they mostly referrals? And he was like, No, I did it with tracting. And he said, Well, how did you baptize so many through tracting? And he said, Every time I met someone, I just envisioned them in white. And he was like, I just saw them in white and I envisioned them entering into the waters of baptism. And he said, It didn't matter if they were tattooed or if they were smoking a cigar when they opened the door. I just saw them in white. And I think that that helps us to understand how to invite others to see grace, to feel the Savior's grace. 
is to be able to see them in his eyes. Right. And that has super helped me. Like we went to the Easter pageant. Thank you, Becky, for saving us good seats. (laughs) We walked across the street. Well, and there's always the haters there. Right. And so there was this really obnoxious guy that was like wretched, like saying the most horrible things. And he had a microphone and he was just screaming. And I heard little children as we were crossing the street. Why is he saying mean things about Joseph Smith? Like, it just broke my heart. And Jeff and I had to walk across back across the street to go and get, I forgot my Stanley in the car. So we had to go back and get my Stanley and it worked for me because as we're walking across the street, I could tell I was just like boiling with like, I just wanted to like spew, like, like you're speaking untruths. Those things aren't even true. I, where are you getting your information? Like you just want to battle it. Mm-hmm. And I thought about that message to see people in white. And the minute I saw him in white, my heart softened and I saw him as a child of God. And he was just doing the best that he could, right? Like he's just, we're all just doing the best that we can. And I think that's such a powerful visual for me to be able to like see them in a pure light than the way that we perceive them or the way that we instantly like judge someone or, you know, just helps us see them like the savior season a little bit. I totally agree with that. I feel like um, that's one of the reasons why I love the temple so much is because we're just equalized. We're all just sons and daughters of God. And and you stop looking at them according to like all the things. I mean, there's all the things. That's all I got. It, right. It, we just become sons and daughters of God and you just love people. You're in the temple and you just love them. I love what you're saying about that. Just it was a powerful invitation for me, too. And then the other part of their invitation was to pray for them. And they had no caveats about what to pray for. It was just pray for your neighbors. I think it's great because, you know, we're, we're taught that we're not supposed to judge in the first place. That's not our job. Our job is not to, to judge. Our job is not to look down on people and to want to fight and battle with them. Right. I'm going to prove you wrong. And let me tell you the truth. And so we're supposed to see them like God sees them, you know, like he sees us. And so I think when you understand his grace, I think it helps you to see people differently. We are all children of God, all of us, no one's better than anyone else. So why, why are we judging? Why are we looking down? For me, it's more like fear, afraid of the unknown, or like, how are they going to feel about me or something like that? At yeah, one point, we're all on the same page, right? Like we all cheered mm-hmm. in heaven together, like every single one of us. <laughs> so yes. We all have something in common. <laughs> oh, absolutely. So true. I love in in her book, she's like, I love this part. He sees you. He sees you trying to follow your dreams and live your best life, how you want to make a difference. Maybe he sees you caving to the worry that that pressures in how it wakes you, heart pounding in the night. So I think of like things that come up that are really, really hard on us that for some reason we don't understand. She said, his grace has the power to calm and strengthen you. And then she continues with, he sees you struggling through the addiction that chases you. He sees you battling memories that try to destroy you. He sees you aching from the loss, how you mourn the memories you'll never make together or the life moments they will never see. 
He sees you trying to mend the rift to understand the enlarging gap. He sees you wondering how they can walk away so easily or how they don't seem to care. He sees you longing for what will complete you and fearing it will never come. He sees you trying to overcome the hurt, to let go of the injustice, to rid your soul of what embitters you. I think that one is a big thing for me right now. He sees you embarking on a journey driven by faith, but with a hint of fear, but he sees you. I think those of us who believe in Christ, we we know he's there, right? We know he's all knowing and all seeing, but do we really, do we really sit and think about like, he sees all of this. And for those of us who believe in Christ and know that he suffered for us, we know he understands everything we're going through. Reading this, I was like, wait, even though I know, I guess it became a little bit like I understood it a little bit better, but like, he sees me, he sees everything. He sees every worry I have. He sees me struggling, whether it's physically or mentally or emotionally, or even spiritually, like he sees it all. If I just believe his grace will be there. But one of the, the last parts of this um, section, she says, just look for him where you already are. You know, he sees us. He will meet us where we are. All we have to do is believe and look for him where I am, like where we are. It's so funny how, if I really think about it, like, it's so simple, (laughs) right? It's so simple. And yet I've never until now have never really understood it and never really thought about it. It's just amazing how it has helped me also more than anything to look at my fellow man and be like, I need to show more grace and I need to be a better person because I'm not being very nice at this moment in this situation. (laughs) And as a mom, man, that can be hard on your, you know, on your own self-worth and self-esteem. Um, it can be hard when you think everything is your fault that your kids are doing, even though they're adults and it's their choices and still <laughs> trying to, you know, be kind. <laughs> to add on to that. One thing that I love that she talked a lot about that when I was reviewing before we got on here, she said that he comes to where you are, but he never intends to keep you there. He never mm-hmm. intends to let you stay there. He always mm-hmm. wants to lift you in some way. And I think that helps me too. Like when I'm looking at others, I'm like, they're not going to be in that place forever. They're learning and growing in a different pace than I would want them to, or that I would expect them to, or than I did, or that I would want to. But that's not for me to decide. Like he's still coming to them in the same way, but he doesn't intend to leave them there. And so I firmly believe that he'll, he'll lift them where he needs them to go and where they're willing to go. Right. Like at the end of the day, it's where they're willing to go. It's all there for them to partake. I think that's like the sum up is, um, I don't know. I was, I've, I've actually been thinking a lot about how like we can be really hard on people and how the older I get, the more I recognize how much grace I need in my life and how much mercy I need in my life. And I'm now recognizing how much I need to extend it because of how much I need. And parenting, let's just use parenting as an example. Like, you know, there've been times where I'm like, oh, I wish that, you know, my, my dad had been this way or that we like whatever. And I'm, and I've, 
I feel like there've been times when I've been hard about my relationship with, with him. And then, and then when I like know that my kids have had a hard time with me about something and I'm like, I, I just need you to recognize that I did the best I could. And then I'm like, well, if I am in so much need of that, then how can I do that for them? And it's, it's been like a focus of mine lately is just like recognizing that we're all just doing the best we can. <laughs> and we all need a lot of grace and a lot of mercy in this life. And that means we also need to extend a lot of it. Right. But it's so great that no matter where we are in our life, that we can have that grace wherever yeah. that is. Like I said earlier, you know, we don't have to be perfect. I mean, nobody on this earth is perfect, but we don't have to be the best at this or the best at that, or have fully repented of every single thing we've done or gone to church every single Sunday, whatever it is, we still can have his grace. So every time I yell at my kids, <laughs> he can still extend his grace to me or every time I judge someone because I'm like being human for a second, then I'm, <laughs> you know, he can still give me grace. Yeah. But he will also extend his grace to those that I'm judging or I'm upset with. It's intended for all of us. And, you know, it's because he loves us. He loves us all. He just loves us. Yeah. How grateful we are for that. So grace is love. All we have to do to receive grace is to believe we have a place at the table and we can come as we are. And I love that. And I love, I love that he sees me no matter what he sees me. He knows exactly what I'm going through, but he also knows that I can do it. He knows I can get through okay. it. And if I remember that, because, <laughs> you know, sometimes it can be really hard, especially when you're going through a trial and you're struggling and you feel like you're alone and you feel like no one understands or no one cares. He hasn't forgotten us and he knows because he sees us, he will always be there for us. And I am so grateful for that. Me too. I, at the end of this like first section, I, the questions I asked myself were, where do I need healing and saving in my life? And have I invited him into that part of my story? I think it's, it goes back to that. Just all we have to do is believe or even just hope to believe, right? Um, want to believe and want to believe. And have we invited him in? So that was kind of my final thought about that. Well, when you said that, the thought came to me that he's already there, but have you like, oh, he, yeah, that he's there. Do you know what I mean? Like you, the invitation, you're right. Like you have to invite him, but he already is there. You're already at his table. Totally. So are you having a discussion with him? Like, I don't know. I'm, I'm very visual. So I'm like, is he sitting next to you at the table? Is he sitting across from you at the table? Is he at the, <laughs> is he at the corner of the table? Like, where is he in your, at your table? Maybe that's up to you, right? Are you sitting, like, do you want to sit closer to him? But he's already there. I love that. You just got to remember, right? <laughs> Agreed. Well, you guys are amazing. I'm so grateful that you took your this time to discuss this with me. Cause I, this is just so important. I think for us to understand what grace really is, that we're all, we all have access to it. I mean, I grew up believing in Christ and having the gospel in my life, 
but I'm just now learning <laughs> what, what grace really means and really understanding. I think it's awesome to be able to talk about it with other people. Thank you ladies so much. I appreciate you joining me tonight. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining me on Test Talks today. I hope you enjoyed my discussion with Becky and Becca about grace. I really enjoyed actually being at the conference and hearing Emily Bell Freeman speak in person about this topic. I have learned so much from her. Again, we only touched on the saving grace, grace where you are. I'm hoping that at some point we can have another discussion about the other grace. But what I wanted to say was that I'm so grateful that I read her books and attended that. And if you're ever interested, she has a podcast called Inklings where each week she does a discussion or someone else does a discussion about different gospel topics. She did do like, I think it was once a month for a couple months where she had an episode just for grace. And then, you know, for each of the different graces. It was really good. Check it out. It's called Inklings. Even if you are not a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, but you have a belief in Christ and a belief in God, her Inklings podcasts are phenomenal, especially the Grace ones. I love that. I just wanted to say that even though it was way back, you know, last year um, when I had this discussion with Becky, listening to our discussion again really brought some things back that maybe I've sort of forgotten about. And I just love that the grace of Christ has the power to lift us, heal us, and enable us to grow and change from exactly where we are in our stories to a fullness of life through him. I love that. And that was something that was in Emily's book. I just love that grace comes to us where we are as we are. And that really all we have to do is believe in Jesus Christ to receive his grace. And the last thing that I want to share from Emily Bell Freeman is something that she called the healing table. And it goes like this. Grace is an invitation to come as you are. Grace is the promise that there is still room. Grace is radical generosity. Grace is the healing and restoring that is abundant in Christ. Grace is a place at the table. I hope that we can all remember that God loves us. He sent his son Jesus Christ and because of all of that we can have grace in our life. Christ gives us grace where we are as we are. It doesn't matter where we are. It doesn't matter what's happening. We can have his grace in our life. We can feel peace from that and also I hope that we will give grace to others. I am working on that currently but I feel like I'm getting better at it. I want to invite those that I give grace to to my table and I want my table to be full. So I hope you will consider that this week. Let's give each other grace, but let's also give ourselves grace. And as always, love hard, live full, and laugh often. I'll see you next time.